You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where rather than wondering if God is one of us, I often wonder if God likes glazed donuts. Another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name's Sean Eagle, and I love covering I love covering the Green Lantern comics, specifically the ones that came out between June 1990 and November 2004, and specifically the ones dealing with Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner, my two favorite Green Lanterns in all of comic books. And today we're continuing on our look at Kyle Rayner and his well, his transformative stage. As this time, we are finding out just what the heck happened to him in the last issue where he came out of the sun as this new character, Ion. We're going to see some interesting changes in Kyle. Basically, him being able to be in multiple places at one time and not having to sleep, which technically would probably be pretty awesome. But to come along to talk about this issue today, I brought a very special guest. He's a first-time, well, he's going to be a first-time guest on this show, but you should know him from his other show, the preeminent Green Lantern podcast on the internet, The Lantern Cast. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome to the show Mr. Chad Vogel. Hey, Chad, how's it going tonight? I'm all right, Sean. How you doing, man? I'm doing really good. I appreciate you coming on the show. I know you've talked a lot over on The Lantern Cast about the Ion storyline being one of your favorite ones, and I can't wait to get into, you know, like I've said to you before... This is kind of a blind spot in my Green Lantern reading history. I'm interested to see what's coming up with the Ion story, and I'm uh, I'm hoping you won't like spoil stuff. But I, I'd be interested to get your take on why this is, you know, one of your favorite runs for the uh, for the character of Kyle Rayner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I'll, I'll do my best not to spoil anything. I imagine you read ahead an, an issue or two, but probably not towards the end of the storyline. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to spoil anything for you, especially with this storyline. But yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, because I, I kind of have a feeling that when, once we get to one fifty, something's building up to that. I, I haven't read that far ahead, but I'm, I'm interested to see what's going on. You know, they they brought a few things from prior storylines, like the one where Kyle went to the planet. To, to fight to help the warring factions and him dealing with that and it's going to be interesting to see what goes on with that but yeah like I said uh, so far I've been really enjoying this stuff and I'm glad you're coming along for the ride tonight thanks for letting me come on I'm glad like I said if I like I said again glad to have you but um we're gonna go ahead and do what you what we normally do here and take a little break plug a couple of promos you know Chad you need to get a promo for the lantern cast out I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. put that in rotation. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with something. I, I've had some stuff cooking in the back of my head, but it's a matter of 
being a little more adept with my audio editing software than I currently am. <laughs> well, we'll put some promos in here for some great podcasts regardless. So after we get back from the promos, we'll go ahead and start into our coverage of Green Lantern Sounds- 146. Sounds good. All right. Back up to heaven to battle stations, engage. Captain Picard is a pain, isn't he? Interesting. No redeeming qualities. I think you should be destroyed. The great Captain Picard of Starfleet falls to Earth. Go back. Thou shalt most certainly die. Protect yourself, Captain, within destroy. We are dangerous. What can I offer except myself? Can we just get down to it, please. Get us out of orbit! One minute to distract. Shut up, Wesley. Perhaps today is a good day to die. Join the two true freaks, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell, for Star Trek Monthly Monday. Every month, the freaks will bring you two episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation and more. Episodes of Star Trek Monthly Monday can be found for free at twotruefreaks.com. They can also be downloaded for free from iTunes. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes or crossover events that can cost a hundred bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarter Bin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny.
Well then, uh, Scott, can you do me a favor? What's that? I've got an episode coming. Let's see. It's called Magnus Remembers uh, Superman Returns, so uh, don't listen to that episode. It, this is all kind of, it's all part of my Superman Begins, like, miniseries that, I, that I'm uh, going through, or was going through. This is all part of the uh, lead-up to Man of Steel coming out on Blu-ray, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I've got two little interludes. Uh, the first... Lucy, shut the f*** up! <laughs> Sorry about that, the dog. <laughs> Brendan's Magnus punches reality at twotruefreaks.com. Discussion about comics, movies, and TV shows. Trentus Magnus punches reality every Tuesday at twotruefreaks.com. No animals were harmed in the making of this promo. Zod. It is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who's Who podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's Who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Dedrick, Dan, Arizia, and Woody Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water podcast. Okay, and we are back. So we're going to forego emails right now. Thanks, everyone, who's written in. The email address to the show is justwhenetheguyspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to read it, write in criticisms, favorable things, uh, dirty letters. I don't mind. I'm, I take <laughs> everything. But uh, like I said, we're going to go ahead and take a look at Greenland number 146. This one was cover dated March of 2002, had a release date on January 2nd, 2002, and a cover price of 225 U.S. and 375 Canada. The title this time out was Hand of God Day One. The writer was Judd Winnick. Penciler this time out was Jamal Eigel. Inker was Al Williamson. Colorist was Moose Bowman. Letter of Chris Heliopolis. Assistant editor Nache Castro. And the editor, again, was Bob Shrek. Lying in bed with girlfriend Jenny Lynn Hayden draped across his chest, Kyle Rayner ponders all that is going on in the universe. From a series of storms over Oklahoma, to a vandalism at a woman's center, to a couple of kids creating a computer virus. And all of these things and more, he is fixed now that he has become Ion. This leads us to earlier in the day, where Kyle relates his nigh-godhood to friends John Stewart, Alan Scott, Jenny, and Marin. Taking his increase in power and stride, Kyle immerses himself back in his art, creating massive amounts of work for Terry Berg to screen a submit to Feast magazine. Dropping by the house, Jenny wonders if Kyle is using his newfound powers to do all of this, and Kyle says that he just has better access to parts of his brain, giving him better focus. This leads to Terry watching a broadcast of Ion delivering tens of thousands of food packs to starving children in Uganda. Impressed with the altruism, Jenny asks when this happened, and Terry remarks that it's going on right now. This is a live feed. 
Sensing that some explaining needs to be done, Kyle sends Terry out for coffee and tells Jenny just what's going on. He hasn't sent out a construct of himself to Uganda. He's actually there, as well as in multiple other places, including a drive-by shooting in L.A., a bank robbery in London, and even the war-torn planet of Tendax. There, Ion is meeting with the leaders of the opposing factions in an attempt to quell the violence that's plagued the planet for so long. The Mataiak and Magnum leaders hurl invective back and forth across the negotiating table until Ion tells them both that everything is done. The leaders tell Ion that they're sorry that a compromise could not be reached, but Ion tells them that they misheard him. With his new powers, he's stopping all forms of aggression from happening on the planet. Weapons will not function, bombs will not explode, chemicals will not burn, and if either side even as much throws a punch, he will be there to put a foot on their back. This is not a threat, this is a fact. Ion's words are put to the test when we see a military party try and attack an opposing force, and as the group fires, their energy blasts halt in mid-trajectory. We also see Ion stopping a group of car bombers retrieving their explosive device and turning it into dust in front of them. Yes, the methods are extreme, but it is getting the factions back to the negotiating table and stopping the violence on the planet. But with Kyle back on Earth, Jenny wonders how he'll be able to maintain this level of vigilance, since feats like this are usually attributed to God. Kyle says he's not God, just a more powerful hero who in real life still loves art, bad movies, and Jenny. In fact, he mentions that they should give Terry the night off and go out and see one of those bad movies, possibly one with talking animals in it. Jenny agrees, provided Kyle puts all his attention to her and not to solving problems all over the universe. Kyle relents, and the two have a wonderful night on the town, capped off, probably, with a wonderful night in bed. However, during the whole date, Kyle was still watching over all of existence, keeping peace throughout the universe. The only downside is, he doesn't have to sleep, something he didn't ever see coming. Okay, so what are your thoughts on this issue, Jan? What do you think about this one? Uh, I like. I mean, much of the much of the Kyle Rayner series is, of course, uh, uh, you know, from Kyle's perspective, it's within his own head, and I like that. For again, with trying not to spoil things, you get a you get a, a feel throughout this issue of other people's perspective of him and this power, and here you get a really in-depth, throughout this whole issue, a really in-depth look into his own thought process. He's not overwhelmed by this power. He's not freaked out by it. But he's not, he's not like, oh, I guess the word would be reveling. He's not reveling in it. He's not, he's not overjoyed that he has this power and is, you know, using it to, uh, for selfish aims. I mean, yeah, he. She mentioned somewhere in here that he he cuts his hair, uh, the, which re, which you know kind of reassures her that he's not God because he gets all all powerful power uh, for lack of a better term. And the first thing he does is gives himself a haircut, um, which <laughs> which is fine. But by getting the in depth kind of uh, Kyle perspective of it, you see that you know this absolute power is not corrupting him. 
uh, he's just like any of us would if we were, you know, benevolent. <laughs> if we were to receive all, you know, this kind of power, we would set about the task of just doing these things. This is, in other words, this is all coming naturally to mm-hmm. Kyle. Yeah, and I think that's I, I think that's nice that Judd Winnick is taking the character and realizes that the character isn't one of these people who would go out and if he got this unlimited amount of power that it would go to his head. That he's such a grounded person, he's trying to to do things in the best way to help as many people. You know, my concern is that is the whole nature of doing these good things. We, we saw this if you ever read the. Uh, these prestige format books that they did back like in the early two thousands that were, I think they were written by Paul Dini and had art by Alex Ross, like Superman uh, war on P or war on peace or something or peace on earth and Mm -hmm. Batman uh, war on crime. The, the, the thing about uh, peace on earth was Superman basically trying to do all these good things to help people out and it not working out because sometimes when you just do things, to be benevolent, there's more than just doing the right thing going on that, that, uh, you know, that, that there's more going on than just you doing the right thing to fix things. And I'm wondering if Kyle's just, I don't want to call it naivety, but his sort of simple benevolence is going to maybe backfire in him, especially in the, the whole thing on this warring planet where people have been fighting each other left and right. I'm interesting to see what's going on with that. Um, I, I, I like the art by Jamal Eigel. It was, it's a little different. I've been getting used to Dale Eaglesham, uh, on the book and specifically, uh, Dale Eaglesham's really improved in my opinion, doing the, uh, Sinestro book. I know you guys are covering that and that's one of the books that I'm currently reading and I've enjoyed his artwork, uh, as it's progressed onto that. What do you think about the art? Uh, in this particular title, I, I, I enjoy it. Um, and in this, uh, in in this issue in particular, uh, it's it's really enjoyable. There's a couple of you know uh, issues that I have with it in here. For instance, uh, probably one of the more obvious ones would be the uh, the panel where uh, I'm trying to find it right now, where Kyle says it's over. Um, oh yeah, he, during during his talk with the the two factions on the planet. Yes, his the very close up of his the the close up of his face where he says it's over and he's gritting his teeth and kind of staring them down that looks really weird yeah his, uh, his mouth looks a, looks kind of out of place and way too small mm-hmm. and uh, yeah his new whose new costumes okay i guess i mean it's uh, i've i've looked ahead and seen some of the covers of the the new new costume that he's gonna have the one that has all the the buckles and stuff on it oh, yeah I, um, I think I'm not gonna like that as much, but this one's this one's okay. It's a nice blend of the sort of classic black and white scheme that Kyle's uniform has and the classic Green Lantern uniform. So I, I like it a bit. I like it somewhat. I, I, I'm actually a big fan of the Ion costume. Uh, I wish I had a, a, a figure of it. Um, I think it's 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 cool. It's uh, it's simple. It's understated, but it works. I mean, you got the the eye symbol in there. It's I mean, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. It just it just looks really cool. I think. Well, and I think the the original design of the Green Lantern costume, uh, the stuff that Gil Kane came up with originally for 
the Silver Age Green Lantern was was really nice. A simple green and black bodysuit. This is just mm-hmm. a sort of uh, design alteration on it. I, and I didn't really notice that the symbol on his chest and abdomen is a sort of lowercase I that really mm-hmm. that really didn't uh, hit me until you mentioned it. So that's that's a cool design element. Yeah, it's 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 really it's really cool. Uh, it's I mean, as a, basically between Kyle getting his well, I guess second costume since he had the classic costume when he first got the ring, and the costume that we're going to see coming up that you've seen cover images of. This is a uh, understated simple middle. Okay. You know, but, but because Kyle's, you know, with his crab mask and his, you know, white and black and and everything in the symbol, it's in the gauntlets, it's a little more complicated than your standard classic Green Lantern costume. And the the one coming up has got like you said the buckles and everything. It's it's both of those have their complexities. This is like a simple middle, and I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think because it it does have the limited, you know, extra accoutrements on it that it's just a simple sort of bodysuit with a unique design makes it less busy. That's the thing that I I, I kind of got from Kyle's original. Well, not his original, but his classic costume, mm-hmm. and moving into the one, the sort of I guess Jim Lee designed one. Yes, uh, I'm gonna go ahead. And if you don't mind, to go through uh, like page by page. The cover, meh. I mean, it's there's nothing wrong with the cover. It's a big electrical zappy looking Kyle on there with his new spiky hair. Um, they haven't changed the logo yet. I know. I think is it around 150 when they finally change up the logo to the new sort of uh, design style because they're keeping they're keeping the same uh, logo that they've had since I think. Issue 50, I believe. Yes. So that's the only thing. You know, obviously this uh, this cover also harkens back to the previous storyline where uh, Kyle fought Nero in space and there was a little green spot in the sun, which was the residual parallax oblivion type energy. So that's kind of cool. I did notice here, like I said in the Indicia, in the book the art was done by Jamal Eigel and Al Williamson. On the cover, they've got it printed out as uh, Dale Eaglesham and Rodney Ramos doing the uh, art. Mm-hmm. So the, they do the uh, cover here, but they don't do the interior art. So I'm wondering if there was something went on between them, whether they just couldn't make the deadline or whatever. Because, you know, Jamal Eigel, the, his, he's no slouch as an artist, but it's a it's a bit different from what we see with Eaglesham. Mm-hmm. Well, I, this is... This is four four issues out from uh, issue number one fifty, which is a big deal. Um, so I'm wondering if they were falling behind schedule at all and decided, well, we you know we 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 don't want to interfere with this big anniversary issue, uh, this uh, this this big uh, monumental issue coming up. So we'll hand off one of the well quote unquote lesser stories to someone else so they can do the art on this while we catch up uh, for, for the big to-do later on. That makes sense. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming 150 was either a double-sized or a, a bigger-sized issue, so it you know would have been more stuff for Eagle Sham to, to draw and get ready and everything. So that, that, that would make sense to hand off some of the artwork to another, you know, another competent artist come, coming to do the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, page two... I'm not certain if this is any specific 
imagery, but there's a lot of a lot of Christ imagery in this in this uh, page. The one where Kyle's coming out all glowy with his hands out to the side. Yes. And, and, and you know, I I'm not certain if it's specifically from uh, you know homage to a, a painting of some sort, but there's a lot of Christ imagery on there, and I think that kind of works in the fact that Kyle is. For, for all intents and purpose, almost godlike. So, I just kind of I just kind of caught that on that page. Yes, uh, and you know it's 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 pretty common, I would say, to for for them to do that. Uh, I mean, what was the obviously not about the exact well? What was the what was the year this came out? Let's see here. It was two thousand two. When did think- uh, when did Smallville start? Um, it was. It had to be 2001 because I know it came out yeah. around the same time as uh, 24. Because I know the for the like the first year they were on at competing times, and I had to like DB. I had to like record one and watch the other. And um, I know. To, I know. Maybe it was 2002 because no, it had to be. It had to have already been out because I've seen advertisements for Smallville in the books. So. Yeah, it had to come out like in two thousand and one. So, yeah. yeah well, I mean, remember remember the advertising campaign for that mm-hmm. with with Clark shirtless and S painted on his chest, but strung up in a yeah, field in a cornfield. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So yeah, the, it's not uncommon for the DC, you know, people in the DC universe to sort of take that kind of imagery. And you, God knows, in Man of Steel and Superman Returns, they definitely made those imagery, made that Christ imagery pretty apparent. I mean. Heck, they had Christ wearing a Superman cape and Man of Steel, if you remember. Right, uh, and well, there's also there's also the fact that I don't think DC or really any other uh, company purposely does the whole Christ angle uh, just to you know to for for any other reason than you have a almost all powerful being. What is the most uh, relatable other representation of a of a all-powerful being in most cultures Mm. it's it's christ (laughs) i mean i mean it's there there are of course other deities of course but in terms of uh, pop culture or or whatever one of the more recognizable is christ so to make these subtle comparisons it's almost too easy Mm -hmm. um i like the artwork uh moving on to page four i like the artwork of jenny down there on that uh, fourth panel i think uh Eichel gets a really good job of getting her sort of concerned look a lot of times. And this is one of the things I love Daryl Banks as an artist. I've always loved his stuff, but in that time period where Terry Austin was inking her, they just didn't gel together well at times. And I think at least for me, there were some times when, when Daryl was doing facial expressions on the characters that they looked off, especially with Jenny Jamal Eichel does a good job here, so you know I'm I'm liking the way that the character's looking here. Yeah, and um, yeah, the, and the costume. I just noticed this. You notice the costume between Jenny's current costume here and Ion. There's a lot of similarities there. Oh yeah, the white. Yeah, the sort of white in the middle, and it, there is kind of an eye look there. If you take the lantern symbol as an eye, there it's a nice sort of transition between Kyle's because Kyle had this sort of yin yang version of the lantern on his costume. Uh, you know, uh, Jenny's costume, especially her new one for this era 
is really nice because like I said, it's, it's more of a traditional style of the lantern costume rather than some of the stuff that she had earlier. But I, I, I've always been a fan of females or female figures who like to cosplay in traditional male uniforms. Mm -hmm. Like you put, you put a a woman in a green lantern costume, you know, she's going to look good. And Jenny, Jenny perfectly plays that out. Mm Mm-hmm. And I like I like the Jenny's costume change later on. Um, that's that's also uh, probably one of my favorite. She's had several different costumes, mm-hmm. uh, but the one that's coming up later on is is by far and away one of my favorite. I, yeah, I think I I think I may have seen that. That's kind of, uh, there was an issue coming up that has Jenny on the cover, and I'm wondering if that's the uh, transition you're talking about, like 148 maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to spoil anything in terms of how it happens or what's going on. But yes, there is there is a costume change in there. Okay. Uh, moving on to page five, we get uh, we see that Kyle's or that Ion is delivering food packages to people in in Uganda, which you know, that's perfect. He's got this power; he can do this stuff. That's a great thing, a, a really benevolent thing to do. But Jenny finds out that he's doing it while Kyle is in the room with her and it raises some concern. And I think legitimately so I, she's you've got when, when she's, she's had this sort of concern earlier in the issues uh, when Kyle's construct started getting more realistic. Uh, you had Judd when exceeding that earlier, uh, Kyle was sitting, I think at a, at Radu's talking with Alan and he had mm-hmm. some girl come by and he said that that was a he created that construct himself. So it's one of my favorite issues. I ref, it, I referenced that a lot. It's it's seeding it's seeding these this idea that there's a little bit of concern between Kyle's secondary characters, you know, the the sort of members of Kyle's family about, you know, is he handling this right? How's how's he doing? And I like that Winnick's kind of setting it up, but he's still allowing Kyle to be this very grounded, very level-headed person who's not letting the power get to his head. Right. Uh, pages pages 7 through 10 are just basically more examples of what Kyle's doing to be benevolent, you know, uh, stopping a you know, stopping a drive-by shooting in LA, uh, stopping a truck from being smashing to a uh, grocery store in Mexico City, stopping a robbery, and then uh, you know, moving moving off planet and moving you know into space, hoping uh, a space shuttle set up like the Hubble telescope, and then moving back to the planet of Tendax, where these two warring factions. Which at the time when I read it, I thought it was uh, a sort of heavy-handed analog for what was going on in the Middle East, specifically Israel and Palestine. And it's going to be inter- It's going to be at least for me interesting to see how they tackle this because. That whole issue in the real world of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is is not really a cut and dry one side or the other issue, and to see Kyle just go in there and say I'm going to stop all aggression, period, and make that work, it, it's going to be interesting if this changes minds, if he can change minds in this way. So I I can't wait to see what's going to come out from this, you know. What are your opinions on this? Since you know a little bit further than I do, well, obviously. Um, I think 
you know, to be honest with you, I don't really remember how this part plays out. And I do very, very, uh, there was, what, it was two issues, right, where Kyle and Jenny went to the to Tindax? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I remember that, uh, especially towards the end, especially, you know, and you see it recapped in here when uh, Jenny's holding the body of that little girl uh, on Tendax. I remember that very vividly. Uh, I don't honestly remember how this plays out later on. Okay. Um, but I do know, I do know that uh, Kyle deals with some of the ramifications later on um, uh, of uh, uh, of his power of, of being Ion. Um, and I, I kind of think that this comes back into play, but to be honest, I don't know. Okay. Uh, it, it's been a while since I've read it. So there's, there's a, there's a little bit of catching up I need to do because it's been a while. Okay. Us- no usually when, usually when I read this, I get a hankering for this storyline and I read 144 through 150 <laughs> and then I stop there. <laughs> okay. No problem. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm looking forward to see what comes up with Kyle uh, because him just coming in and saying, look, I'm ending the violence, you know, negotiations aren't working. It kind of has this feel of Kyle almost being like a benevolent dictator of saying, yes, I'm here to to make sure no one gets killed, but if anyone tries to do something, I'll mess you up bad. And I'm hoping this doesn't backfire on Kyle or... If it does backfire on it, it adds to the storyline and is is interesting is interesting to Kyle's tale. Yeah, I was gonna say moving on to page fourteen, this is where the artwork gets just kind of wonky. That that close up on Kyle's face is really weird. Uh, the shading on his head's off. The mask looks the mask in his nose look way too big. I mean, I guess he's supposed to be looking down. But mm-hmm. if you look in the uh, prior panel, the the nose piece doesn't really cover all his nose. And here it looks like it's covering almost all of his nose and then some. So it's just wonkiness. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're kind of thinking like in that panel where everything looks off, his head is tilted down, but he's looking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of giving the, you know, the sort of looking up over his glasses or over his I guess his mask here at these people. So, but yeah. Eh. Uh, after that, we get more of Kyle's sort of miraculous feats as he stops the uh, people from firing energy blasts at these people. Looking on page sixteen, that first panel up there, uh, the big glowy-eyed, almost sento. This may be just because I finished watching uh, Days of Future Past. You mm-hmm. know, the big floaty glowy-eyed things looks kind of sentinel-like there and sentinel yeah. by you know x-men sentinel not alan scott sentinel right um but after that you know i don't specifically have all that many all that many um notes for this well you know the panel you just talked about with him standing there with his eyes <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> what that reminds me of is uh and it just popped into my head Anytime you see Sinestro floating in space, mm. what pose is he in? Yes. The he's, cro- in, he's in this pose. His feet are flat like he's standing on something that he's not. And his arms are crossed in front of him. And he's just, he's floating there. Yeah, he's just floating there and his power is doing the work. He's letting his ring, like he stands there. And I, I believe I've actually heard um, 
uh, oh god, uh, what was his name? Uh, Van Skyver. Van when Van Skyver, I think he was doing an uh, an interview for the documentary about DC supervillains that came out not too long ago. He was talking in one of the interviews about how Sinestro stands in this pose, and and for most of Rebirth, I think he was I think he was talking about Rebirth. For most of Rebirth, you see Sinestro standing in this pose and letting his ring do the work. He doesn't move at all. The only time he moves in that entire uh, storyline is when Hal comes back. Hmm. And Hal, Hal for Sinestro is too personal and requires the hands-on, you know, fist-to-fist approach, whereas everybody else is beneath him. And he just stands there in this pose and lets his ring do the work. I think, and Kyle's doing much of the same here, he's stopping these people from fighting, fighting each other, but he's standing like this. Mm-hmm. He's not moving a muscle. <laughs> yeah, and you kind of you kind of see the same thing, uh, you know, on page seventeen. Uh, he's a bit more personable with the uh, people that he fought caught catching the bomb, but he gets the, I guess, the analog to Superman's glowy eyes of anger when he uh, decides to turn the bomb to ash. But that's an interesting that's an interesting catch that Kyle's body language kind of mimics Sinestro, who has a sort of dismissive feel of doing doing what he needs to do until he comes across someone like Hal that his that when he interacts with someone it's just him standing there cross-armed and lets the ring do stuff so that's that's a good catch there right uh, whereas Kyle Kyle it feels benevolent but you 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 made the connection to a, a benevolent dictator well what was Sinestro at least in his mind on Corridor and that's exactly where I'm kind of worried that Kyle may be going it's like Kyle is wanting to do the right thing, but is stopping all violence and telling people that I'm going to tell you what you can and can't do. Actually, how is that any different from what Sinestro was doing? And Mm. is he going down the same path? So, yeah, that was something I I also thought, you know, reading, having Emerald Dawn 2 being one of my favorite uh, Green Lantern stories, you know, I thought... Well, this sounds kind of like what happened on Korrigar, so... And I don't want to spoil anything for you, but the reason I like this storyline so much is how it ends. One, one, 150, uh, what Kyle ends up doing with this power, what he ends up, what decision he ends up making, makes this storyline. Mm-hmm. Because I shared some of your concerns when I first read this, and I was, you know, the, keeping in mind one of the most well-known quotes absolute you know power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely mm-hmm. and i didn't want to see kyle go through that so you know is he is he going to break or what what's going to happen and what happens in 150 is uh is really nice <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard i've heard 150 is uh you know basically cements kyle as one of the greats and like i said yes. I'm trying not to read ahead mm-hmm. i've only read ahead like an extra issue so i can do it next week but um i'm looking forward to do 150 and uh that'll be interesting yeah Uh, 149 is also a great issue uh because it's a gut check and i like that too well and where he deals with uh he kind of first deals with the members of the league as ion yes and uh as far as i know superman kind of uh you know calls him out on this you know because i think he uh, I kind of skimmed over that, mm-hmm. and I think he Superman sort of calls him out for basically taking care of this 
problem that they should have handled and he that Superman thought he should have handled in a different way. So, yeah, I'm, I'll be interested to see where this goes. Definitely. Yeah, Soup's Soup's really comes off as a jerk towards the beginning of that, and then you see his point. <laughs> so, but I'll, I'll, I won't spoil any more than that. <laughs> Superman coming off by, by it like a jerk—that's that's hard to imagine. Oh, that's that's not hard to imagine in the new Fifty Two. <laughs> yeah, prior to this, it's it's uncommon. Yeah. Um, again on page nineteen, I am kind of glad that they're not shut. That Judd Winnick isn't shying away from calling religion into the story. I mean, we spoke about it earlier. Obviously, when you have someone who has the power to do these kind of things, you're going to immediately think of, if not just God, a God. Mm-hmm. And I like that Winnick specifically goes to the Christian deity of God, however you'd want to put him. I mean, that's it's not uncommon in comics, but that he'd actually call it out and say God, not a God, I thought was kind of interesting. But then after that, you know, we get call back to Kyle saying everything's okay. You know, I'm I'm gonna spend my I'm, I want to spend my time with you. Let's go out and see a movie, Jenny. And he takes her out. But there is the caption, you know, on uh, page 21, panel three, where he says, "I'm lying to her, but I really don't have a choice." And it's one of those things where you think to yourself, "Okay, Kyle's doing these." really wonderful benevolent things but he's now having to be deceitful to the people that he cares about winnick is walking this really fine line between making kyle a very likable person but putting in those hints that something may be amiss with him and i'm i'm really intrigued by this because like you said the whole absolute power corrupts absolutely is kyle being corrupted by this power and just not showing it yet uh, because he's having these little hints, he's he's being sort of a benevolent dictator to these people on the planet of Tendax. It's much like what Sinestro was doing initially. He's telling Jenny he's going to devote himself completely to her after she's asked him to, but he lies to her and doesn't. So it's it's a fine path that I think Winnick's taking Kyle down, and it's interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with him and what comes out from all of this. Right. And I think there's that, there's that aspect of that panel when he lies to Jenny, but there's also the aspect of, there's something that happens a lot in several different Superman storylines where Superman Cal, I like to call him Cal, where Cal questions his, his role as Clark Kent. You know, I have the power to do, all of these things, how dare I be selfish and take time away to, to be myself, you know, when I could be devoting my time 24-7 to saving the world and doing so much more good. As a matter of fact, I just heard that exact same plot thread be referenced, and I don't know if you've had a chance to uh, read it, but there's a novel called Enemies and Allies uh, about Superman and uh, Batman teaming up. That graphic audio did a... Did a uh, uh, rendition of, and I've been listening to that today while I was working, and that he talks to uh, Martha Kent about the exact same situation. I've heard it referenced several different times in Superman uh, literature, but um, I think the difference between the two is Superman grew up like with these powers, 
he grew up with the Kents, and he grew up with, with all these things, and he can go back to Ma, Ma Kent and, you know, say these things, and she can say, you know, everybody's entitled to your to, to their life, and, you know, it's how you relate to the people and know when to step in, and the reason is you, you have a, a life outside of these things. You wouldn't know about the human side of things if you were just stepping in and, and taking care of business all day long, and I think here Ky, we see Kyle... It's it's a stretch, but it's kind of like Kyle is Superman minus the slow development over time and being born with the power and minus Ma Kent and, and Jonathan Kent, but, you know, still has an OK upbringing, still has the morals, but is just suddenly bequeathed with these powers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's he 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 has no idea how to handle this stuff. But he knows inherently Jenny can't possibly understand what kind of power I possess. She can't possibly understand the responsibility that comes with knowing that I can be in 40 different places at once, not just on Earth, but across the universe doing good. How can I possibly you know, bring all of myself back to this one person and let the universe fall into chaos in different places knowing that I could be somewhere doing something about it and still devoting the same amount of time and attention to her here in this personage. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying there, and it is an interesting analog. And the, I think I think you hit it on the head. The The fact that Superman had these abilities for uh, since he was born, well, depending upon what you what you know what timeline you take with with burn supposedly he he garnered the powers over a period of time but he he had more time to develop them and to realize how he could use them this is day one of kyle using them and he's already trying to do what superman would think he could do after you would think maybe decades of experience so it's interesting to see how this will work out for Kyle. Will will this absolute power allow him to do all these things and maintain a normal lifestyle with Jenny and his friends and his relationships? Or will there be difficulties? Will he be able to maintain it? And I think Winnick's doing a great job of uh, setting this idea up. Yes, exactly. Uh, do you have any other notes on the uh, issue? Do you want to go ahead and take a look at some of the ads? Yeah, sure, that'd be fine. Um, yeah, no problem. Okay. Uh, the front-end side cover, I've got uh, Virtua Fighter 4. Now, I played this a little in the arcades, but I never had... See, my last... Until I got kids, my last uh, game system was a Sega Genesis. And I played I played the heck out of uh, Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat 2 on the Genesis. But I never got into... I never got a PlayStation or a PlayStation 2... So I never got to play these Virtua Fighter games. Did you? Did you? Were you ever much of a gamer? Not, not in terms of these. When um, when the first Doom came out for the PC, my mom had that on her computer, and I played Doom on her computer, and that was the very first time I discovered I cannot play modern video games without getting exceedingly nauseous after a little while. Really? The way the, yeah, the way the camera moves, the way the characters hop up and down to, you know, imitate their walking or whatever, this, just the combination of all of that really makes me uh, motion sickness or so I, there's, there's actually a term for it, but I don't even know what it is, um, that I can't play modern games. So this, this, 
I never had a PlayStation because I I never thought I'd be able to play any of these games. I people I would see people playing like even Spyro. Spyro would make me nauseous. Wow. Uh, so I I never got a chance to play any of these. As a matter of fact, sitting all of three feet from me and and listeners of the Lantern Cast know, but uh, know that I I can't play modern games. My have I have my uh, the TV in my bedroom hooked up to my my Super Nintendo. I still have the exact same console I had as a kid. Um, <laughs> those things really stand the test of time. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. My, I, my Sega, you know, I had the Genesis, and uh, it, it if I still had it, I bet it would still play the cartridges and everything. And that was the, those two systems were fun. I, yeah, I love the games on those. Yeah, I play I play this stuff all the time, and you know, every now and then, my sister, she's three years younger than me, uh, she'll she'll stop by and say hi, and we'll play we'll play Super Nintendo. You you mentioned Mortal Kombat. We'll play Mortal Kombat three. Nice. And uh, <laughs> we're always we're always trying to get that little guy to pop up out of the side and go whoopsie <laughs> when you when you hit somebody. But <laughs> what's funny is. My sister, her name is Amber. When Amber and I play these video games, we know all, all the buttons you're supposed to use for every different video game that we played growing up to get things to happen. But when we play Mortal Kombat, we just hold the controller in our hands and just run our thumbs across the buttons and hope something cool happens. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll always be, I'll, in Mortal Kombat 3, I'll always be uh, Sub-Zero and she'll always be Shiva, the chick with four arms or whatever. Yeah. And I'm always trying to hopefully freeze her, and she's always trying to hopefully hop up in the air and stop on my character. <laughs> <laughs> See, I remember for Mortal Kombat 1, I remember I learned some of the moves for it, but it was always a pain in the ass to try and get the moves to go off. And I know these Virtua Fighter games have the same sort of thing. You press a certain combination of buttons in a row, and it would get a killing blow or some sort of fanciful kick to go off, but... Eh interesting um moving in we've got an advertisement for frosted flakes which is really not much of an advertisement it's i guess it's tony the tiger snowboarding or skiing and it's kind of promoting the 2002 um where is that salt lake olympics so yeah the the salt lake winter olympics yep there you go after that we've got an advertisement for some crappy disney channel movies one with Frankie Muniz, Kristen Storms, and Eric Von Detten. Aside from Frankie Muniz, I've never heard of these people, and I don't think I've ever heard of these. Well, I've heard of Xenon because I think my kids saw some of the sequels to that. But yeah, I, this is out of my wheelhouse. This is when Disney was putting out you know, these original movies like every week, and not many of them were very good. Yeah, I don't remember any of these or even hearing about them. The other... For whatever reason, the last Disney original movie I can remember watching on TV was Smart House. Hmm. The but yeah. Now in in my book, I've got a little pullout thing, a Mad Magazine Mad Guide to the Sweet and Sa- or Sour and Sweet of Life. Do you have that in your in your comic? Yep, my comic is that pristine too. It's got a little Mad Magazine pullout, which is really weird. I've never seen this. I guess it's sort of a a pullout that go along with the advertisement on the page about lifesavers, uh, sour kickers, which I guess are like the sour patch kid version of lifesavers. Mm-hmm. Advertisement kind of in the middle of the book for twisted metal, another video game. This is twisted metal, small brawl, which I guess it's like 
little RC controlled cars that shoot at each other. I don't know. I never played these games. No, it looks like some sort of variation of Mario Kart. Mm hmm. Minus maybe mine maybe it has a race mode, but it looks more like the uh, the Mario Kart battle mode. Yeah. But three D with R C cars. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I gathered. I think Twisted Metal was it was a weird game that had some sort of crazy clown advertising for it. So that's always something to get you excited to buy a video game. <laughs> uh, the middle of the book has got this weird, I guess, one of these crazy Japanese anime game called Okage or Okage Shadow King. And it's got a person doing hand shadow puppets to make this sort of demon face. I never got I never got into RPG games either. The sort of games like Final Fantasy or stuff like that. And I guess this is kind of like that. Mm. Next page is an ad for Tekken Advance, which uh, it's for the Game Boy Advance. So I'm wondering what the heck you could do with that. Uh, you know, Tekken, I thought, was a more 3D runaround type fighting game. And I don't know if you could do that on the Game Boy. So that's weird. Yeah, these graphics look 2D. Yeah. So I'm wondering if this might just be a sort of side by side version of the game, just kind of a la street fighter or mortal Kombat or something like that see i never had a game boy i have i have uh, one of those cartridges for the super nintendo the the game boy uh the super game boy yeah where it's basically a cartridge a super nintendo cartridge that you can stick a game a regular game boy game in and then stick the whole cartridge in your super nintendo and play a game boy game on your super nintendo hmm. that's how i mean i st- uh the only game boy game i still have is uh pokemon yellow yeah and i i I play that every now and then on my Super Nintendo. See, um, again, having kids, like every year a new console, a little game console comes <laughs> out. So we've had the Game Boy Color. We've had uh, the, the Game Boy Advance or the one with the flip screen. Uh, we got the Nintendo uh, DS. And then we had to get the Nintendo 3DS because God knows 3D is so much better than 2D games. <laughs> and you know they're all kind of neat uh but but basically all they do is they get the newest version of the pokemon games and run around and try and capture pokemon which is <laughs> there you go um they got another advertisement for munch uh or odd world munch's odyssey which is another weird platforming game for the xbox uh, I, again no idea Never what played that is it. uh courtside 2002 which is uh I guess they're uh, uh, big fans of Kobe Bryant, and that's for the uh, GameCube. Uh, I did have a GameCube, but that was there are very, very few modern games I can play. Madden is one of them, mm-hmm. but then again, that's not a first person. That's kind of like a bird's eye view, and everybody's you know the camera moves like one of two ways, right? Yeah. And then uh, the other game would be SSX. I am a huge snowboarding fan. Oh, cool. Uh, I really love snowboarding, and I bought a used Game Boy or a GameCube just so I could play SSX Tricky and SSX Three. <laughs> but then I ended up selling it because I needed some cash, and then, plus it was just taking up space, and I really only had one or two games for it, so I just couldn't really justify it anymore. Uh, that, that's kind of the way it happens, yo. My kids have been asking me, "Oh, Dad, are we going to get a PlayStation Four? Are we going to get the Xbox One?" I'm like. Look, you 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 don't even play the Wii or the Wii U, you know. So let's let's just hold off on another four hundred dollar game system for right now <laughs> that you're gonna get one or two games with and then be bored with it. 
<laughs> After that, we get an advertisement for uh, one of the biggest flop movies ever. It's the remake of Rollerball. And who was in this? I know it's LL Cool J and Re- Re- Rebecca Remain Stamos. Who's the main guy? Chris Klein. Man, this was... Oh, man, I remember this movie. Th- uh, this, this was god-awful. I, I, I have not seen the movie, but I heard, yeah, it was pretty awful. The only thing that I recall being decent about it was I think Rob Zombie did like the one of the songs for it. I think uh, uh, Never Gonna Stop or whatever was the song that he did for it. And I think, you know, because I, I remember seeing that in some of the trailers for it, and I was like, oh, wow, that's a cool song. This movie's going to be cool. And then I heard all about it, and that it absolutely was the opposite of that. <laughs> uh, the next page is a weird one. It's got a boatload of, you know, fine print text, but it's an advertisement for OnStar that'll allow you to enter for a chance to win a walk-on part in the next Batman movie. Now, this came out, obviously, after... This came out after uh, Batman and Robin, so it's obviously not for that, but I don't think... The Nolan Batman Begins film came out till 2005, 2004. So, well, came out. What yeah, about so Prince, what about starting principal? They, they probably could have. They probably could. Yeah, it probably could have been for that one. But that would have been interesting because I didn't even. I don't think anyone had a Batman film on their mind, you know, at this point in time. But obviously, they are. They were working on it. So I'm wondering. I'm wondering who got a walk-on role in in that. That'd be interesting to find out. But yeah, I guess this had to be for the uh, Batman Begins film. Back Inside Cover is another advertisement for a video game. Now, this one uh, you might know of. This, I think, is a 3D version of the game Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, it was an arcade game where you played this knight who like threw swords at uh, skeletons and stuff and jumped. And if he got, he, he initially had armor on. But if he get hit, the armor would knock off, and he'd run around in like his boxer shorts. <laughs> I, I'm serious, and this was a game that was in the arcades for kids. So you have a, a knight running around in his boxer shorts in a video game. Again, again, I've never played this, but it just looks weird. Yeah. But then the outside back or the back outside cover is kind of cool. It's a uh, Batman versus Superman, and it's not uh, Dawn of Justice. It's I guess Toonami at the time had uh, because the Warner Brothers owned Cartoon Network, and I guess they were screening both the uh, Batman the animated series and Superman the animated series on Toonami, and I guess you could vote for whether you know what uh, shows you wanted to have on or what episodes you wanted to have. That was kind of cool. I miss those shows being on TV. They used to be on, oh, one of the channels, like The Hub for a while. But unfortunately now, if you don't have like the box set, you can't find them anywhere, which is disappointing. Yeah, I've got I've got the full Batman and Superman animated series, and I'm glad to have them. And I've got the, the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited box set, too. Yeah, I, I, I need to get the Batman and the Superman ones. I've got the Justice League Unlimited, and, and that's... Personally, in my opinion, the Justice League Unlimited is some of the best versions of the DC characters, like of all time, in my opinion. I think I think Bruce Timm and Paul Dini and all those guys got the characters down, and they did some great adaptations of some storylines from you know from comic books. Uh, the uh, for the Man Who Has Everything version that they did in the Justice League mm-hmm. uh, was was a great adaptation, even though they 
weren't able to put Robin in there. I thought that was a really compelling adaptation. So, yeah, it, it'd be nice to see these characters back on TV. Sad. But uh, this this was a really enjoyable issue. It's interesting to see what's going on with Kyle, and it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to see where things go in this whole Ion storyline. Yeah, the, the this storyline is the reason I think uh, Kyle should uh, remain a, a White Lantern. Yeah, I, I I heard that, you know, as of the time of this recording, we know that come, what, a couple of months from now, issue 40 is when not only is Red Lanterns and surprisingly Green Lantern Corps going away, but so is uh, New Guardians, where Kyle's, Kyle's comic's going to be going away. So it'll be interesting to see how they meld those characters into Green Lantern or what they do with them or whether they're going to sideline them for a while which would be disappointing mm-hmm. yeah what what kyle does both here and later on once you get to 150 uh especially 150 with godlike power makes you think that if anybody's worthy of godlike power in the green lantern mythos it's kyle rayner uh and i you know the plus with him being a white lantern it's really a callback to him being the only Lantern of a kind. And everybody who did enjoy the Kyle Rayner series, I mean, that was a very small part of it, but him being the only one, I mean, him being the only one of a Lantern now feels natural because of all this. And I, I just like that. And, you know, this being my favorite storyline and the Kyle Rayner being one of my favorite Lanterns in this era of Green Lantern being one of my favorite series, it's just like, Kyle Rayner as a White Lantern, I'm getting like snippets of all my favorite moments with Kyle Rayner in one, and I'm really worried that we're about to lose all that. Yeah, it is. You know, I understand the economics behind it. I understand that it's not selling as well as the Green Lantern title. And, you know, I do think, unfortunately, even though they're going to be revamping Green Lantern in the movies, I do think the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie did have a lot to sort of bring down Green Lantern as a whole, mm-hmm. but it's disappointing that, that the books that you find are probably the best written out of the, out of the modern series of Green Lantern books are new guardians and red lanterns. And those mm-hmm. consistently were the ones that were selling the least is, is just kind of disappointing. But, yeah. New Guardians has been slipping as of late, but Red Lanterns has been consistent since uh, Charles Soule took over. Yeah, but yeah, we also heard that you know Sewell was leaving and mm-hmm. you know going over to Marvel to do exclusive for them. So yeah, and Justin Jordan had announced prior to the uh, announcement of the cancellation that he was leaving New Guardians as well. So yeah, well, that's it'll be interesting to see how things do. Maybe the streamlining of it will. You know, allow for some better storylines in Green Lantern themselves. You know, maybe you know. I know you guys weren't impressed all that much with Core, but maybe you know they'll be able to. Maybe it'll be much fewer crossovers because <laughs> I, I could. Yes, I could <laughs> deal with. I think. I think everyone could deal with a bit fewer crossovers in the Lantern titles. Mm-hmm. But Chad, I really appreciate you coming on. It's it's great to hear your opinion on these it's great to hear you talk about this stuff and i'm glad that you're able to get to talk about a series that you really enjoy in this green lantern run so thanks for coming on thanks for having me it was a lot of fun i I know that you've got a bunch of different other guests 
uh, for for the rest of this storyline. But uh, I'm just happy to cover a part of it. Well, I really appreciate it. You know, like I do with uh, anyone who comes on the show, I'd like to give them a chance to plug what they're doing on the internet. Why don't you go ahead and tell people what you're what you're doing and where you can be found on on the interwebs? Okay, yeah, I have I have several different things and and a, <laughs> several uh, different blogs, but I'm only going to focus on two and on the podcast. Uh, first and foremost, as Sean mentioned at the uh, beginning of the show, I'm a co uh, one of two co-hosts over on the Lantern Cast. Uh, myself and my partner Mark Marble, uh, we've uh, we took over the the Lantern Cast with uh, episode 170, well numbered episode 170, uh, and we've been going on. Uh, as a matter of fact, we've uh, we've already crossed our year mark as being the the new co-host team. Uh, Lantern Cast total has been going for over six years, um, and I mean we're uh, we're already trucking along past the 205 mark. Um, and we, we cover the new, the new stuff, um, and we cover some of the old stuff as well. And every now and then we big, dip back in into the middle. Uh, I also have a, uh, a spinoff series uh, that's been posting a lot more regularly now, uh, all about Green Lantern, Green Arrow, the series uh, by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. And after that, uh, we'll cover you know more of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series as it was titled, and, and maybe some more uh, beyond that. But yeah, I- not only... Go ahead. I was going to say, I really enjoyed your coverage initially starting up the build up to it, going into the stuff about the comics code and Frederick Wortham and all that. That was a nice primer to kind of get the emphasis on what you're going to be doing and what O'Neill and Adams did specifically with the uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow stories. Exactly. Uh, and the reason for that is the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series is considered very historic. Um, but the reason it's considered historic is because of the comics code authority and to understand the historic impact of Green Lantern, Green Arrow, as, as written and drawn by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, is is to understand the comics code. And with each with each issue, I tried to go in and point out from the comics code as it was written at the time what this particular issue that we're covering in that episode is clashing up against, what social issue it's 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 trying to point out. And what it's clashing against in terms of the comics code, um, and uh, you know later on, of course, the comics code changes in the 70s and become kind of takes it uh, as uh, Neil Adams puts it, you know they they took the fangs out of out of the comics code, uh, but it's 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 uh, its historical impact is really important, and that's that's the Lantern Cast presents Green Lantern and Green Arrow. Uh, which is also in the Lantern Cast feed. So if you find us on on uh, 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 iTunes or Stitcher, uh, just type in Lantern Cast and you'll find both the main show and Green Lantern, Green Arrow. And I've got two blogs. I'll just plug them really quick. Um, uh, one is Core Conjecture, which has been gone for over a year now, but it's coming back really soon. Uh, the initial uh, emphasis of that uh, blog was to, uh, since I was just a co-host, uh, pointing uh, uh, one of my f- uh, former co-hosts, Jim Ford, Pointing out uh, some some theories that I had on various titles that might have clashed up against some of his theories, so that I could have all my theories down on paper and saying, "Yes, I called that one right. This is exactly where they were going in the series." But now it's just more of a, a kind of review, side review, commentary site about other Green Lantern things that we don't necessarily have time for over on the Lantern Cast. Uh, and uh, my my foremost blog, the one I really pour a lot of attention to, is a blog about Ragman. Uh, I'm a huge Ragman fan, and I am kind of tape geeked. I don't know if uh, Sean, you listen to 
uh, Firestorm fan and Aquaman Shrine, uh, the I've Fire and Water podcast. I listen to Fire and Water. I think I think everyone who has you know who's on the internet who listens to comic book uh, podcast has to officially listen to Fire and Water. Otherwise, you know their geek credit card is uh, revoked. So exactly. Well, Rob Kelly had a blog all about the Phantom Stranger, and his goal was to cover most every major appearance of the Phantom Stranger. A uh, far bigger task for a fan of the Phantom Stranger uh, as opposed to a fan of Ragman. But I am following that template, uh, starting with the very beginning and trying to cover each issue that Ragman appeared in uh, from his inception all the way up until now in the New 52, where he's actually appearing in the pages of Batwoman, uh, which has announced that it's going to be canceled. But <laughs> nice. he made his New 52 debut in there. Uh, and so that can be found at uh, thesuitofsouls.blogspot.com. Uh, and the, by the way, the core conjecture, just core conjecture at blogspot.com. And just follow LanternCast on Facebook. We got a Facebook, we got a Twitter, uh, both uh, at LanternCast. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, the LanternCast is one of these shows that it's, it, it is one of the preeminent lantern shows. And I know Jim and Dan had done it for a long time and had you on as guest host. And when you took over, like you said, at 170, you know, I was kind of uh, doing my own lantern show. I was kind of cautious about wanting to, you know, get in with other podcasters doing lantern shows because I didn't want to overlap and I didn't want to step on anyone's toes. So I'm glad that I got able that, you know, you opened the door for me and basically said, hey, you want to come on and do episode 200, do a little thing with us. So I'm glad that we're able to do these little crossover things and, you know, uh, back and forth with each other. It's really fun to get this sort of lantern community out there. And it's it's been great listening to to you and you and Mark do the uh, lantern cast. I think you guys have got a really good rapport and, you know, covering, you know, like I've said, since I'm not following, you know, not picking up the green lantern titles, cause I need to get done with the original Jeff John stuff before I go into it. Uh, you know, listening to you guys cover the stuff has been really enjoyable. So you're doing a great job over at the lantern cast. Well, thank you. And uh, you're doing a great job over here. I mean, there's with all the modern stuff, not just the comics, but, you know, movie, TV show uh, appearances, cartoons, blah, 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 uh, spinoff series and everything. There's there's far too much that we've got going on our end. We really want to get back to the old stuff. We want to cover some old stuff. We want to cover even some of the Kyle Rayner series. We all have a very big passion for this, mm-hmm. but we just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, and I'm sure we will cover it eventually. It's just nice to have you out there doing this this side so that, you know, the, a big reason Jim originally conceived of the Lantern Cast is because he wanted to listen to a Green Lantern podcast, and at the time there wasn't one out there, so he said, "I'll just do one." Well, that's what you're doing. You know, <laughs> you're you're doing just one of the guys all about this stuff. So at least we get to listen to it, and we don't feel quite so bad that we haven't covered it just yet. <laughs> well, and I, I I like when you've had the opportunity to do some of the stuff that I've done, like you did the Green Lantern Silver Surfer on Holy Alliances. I know Mark was a big fan of that, and then you did the um the Emerald Knight storyline, the issues like one hundred through one hundred six, mm-hmm. and uh you know that was really fun hearing you guys talk about that as well. So you know it, it's it's good to hear other takes on the comics, it, and it's it's. It's good to know that there are people who are a fan, you know, because 
nowadays when you think of Green Lantern, everyone thinks Jeff Johns, Jeff Johns, Jeff Johns. And not to slight Jeff Johns because his stuff has been, you know, the stuff that I've read of it has been really good. But Ron Mars put a lot of effort into the Green Lantern mythos. Gerard Jones put a lot of effort in the Green Lantern mythos. You know, like you were doing with the Green Lantern Green Arrow, Denny O'Neill's put a lot into it as well. So there are so many people who have built up this thing that people are just focused on, you know, one person. It's nice to see that, you know, there are people who are willing to look at other eras of Green Lantern and, and promote it. And that's why I like your show, because it, it does that. You're not just focused on the, the modern stuff. You cover whatever takes your fancy. And that's exactly. awesome. Exactly. When, when we can. <laughs> yeah. And, and we and you had mentioned earlier about, you know, bringing you on. We would never exclude anybody. I mean, there there are a couple of people out there who have, have, you know, taken shots at us or whatever. If they don't want to be involved, that's fine. But we're all Green Lantern fans. Exactly. That's that, that's all it comes down to. We're all Green Lantern fans. And you, we could start, you know, everybody out there could start their own podcast. What are we going to do? Fight fight with each other? No. Well, <laughs> exactly. I'm- well, it's the internet. It's it's kind of a necessity. It's kind of a necessity for people to fight with each other. <laughs> I guess. Oh, wait, that's Facebook. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, thanks everyone uh, for downloading, and listening. We really appreciate you doing that. And thanks again, Chad, for coming on. I really, it was really great to talk to you tonight. I, I echo those sentiments, Sean. Thank you so much for having me on. No problem, everyone. Hope you have a great week, and we will catch you in seven days for the next episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingram. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scan the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys podcast, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonza Core contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander. The opening song for today's show was Joan Osborne and her song, One of Us, off the album Relish. This is an album where you can purchase at a myriad number of places. However, the best place to purchase it would be Amazon.com. And as always, the best place to purchase anything from Amazon.com would be first to go to ChooChooFreaks.com. If you go to ChooChooFreaks.com and click on the banner in the upper left-hand corner of the page... You'll be direct to Amazon.com, where you can purchase Joan Osborne, Katie Lang, Sarah McLaughlin, 
any of those 90s female stars that wrote weepy songs that made you sad whenever you saw hurt puppies and kittens. And you can do it all at a relatively low price. Plus, whenever you use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to go to Amazon.com, a small amount of the purchase that you make at Amazon goes back to the website. You don't see any money taken out of your account, but it does really help the Two True Freaks out. So anytime you feel like purchasing movies, music, videos, games, whatever from Amazon.com, be sure to use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com.